The survivors of the Armenian Genocide from Western Armenia found refuge all over the world, many of which settled in the United States, especially in California's Central Valley. Second and third generation artists such as Richard Agopian, a master oud player associated with the Kef tradition of Armenian American music, have kept their folk traditions alive. His grandson, Andrew Agopian, who's with me here today, is honoring this tradition by continuing to play our folk music, recording its history, and making it available for the future generations exiled from their homeland. This dance-oriented style of Armenian music, using Armenian and Middle Eastern folk instruments and some Western instruments, preserved the folk songs and dances of Western Armenia. However, music is alive. It evolves and adapts based on its environment. Bands such as the Vuspigyan Band of Philadelphia were notable in the 1940s and 50s for developing their own style of kef music, heavily influenced by the popular American big band jazz of the time. Another oud player, John Beberian from Massachusetts, is notable in particular for his fusions of traditional music with rock and jazz in the 1960s, most famous of which was an album titled The Oud and the Fuzz. But it goes both ways, and what Armenians brought to the United States also had its impact on American culture and its music. In today's episode, Andrew Agopian, a third-generation Armenian-American Udi, will take us through this musical pastime of our Armenian-American diaspora. Join us as we explore examples of this cultural fusion that took place in the mid-20th century, as well as some classic folk songs played on the Oud by Mr. Oud Jr. You're listening to Haituk Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasyan. A couple of Armenians talking in the world. Yes. 
Andrew, have me dancing over here on this side. <laughs> you, you, you guys, I'm having Thank such you. a good time today. I'm in Fresno. I'm at Andrew's studio right now. This is a real hike vacation in Fresno, California, where I'm seeing all this Armenian history around me. We went to the Armenian Genocide Museum earlier. Thank you, Andrew. And then here in Andrew's studio, you have, I don't know, Fresno's history, Fresno's music history, Armenian American music history everywhere. And it's the coolest place. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Hike, for having me. This is excellent. We welcome you to Fresno. We hope that you return oh, many yeah. more times. Oh, 100%. Uh, this has been fun. Yeah, so far so good. I mean, the whole day has been like a podcast uh, us going back and forth. But what song? So what's the name of that song you just played? So the song I just played, I opened with a taksim in the mode of Neva, which I led into... Um, a song made popular by Hrant Kenkulian, or known as Udi Hrant, called Parov Yegar Sirunyar, which was written by his brother-in-law, Udi Bogos. Udi Bogos. Who was also blind. Were they both blind? They were both blind. Because I just saw his picture on one of those covers, and he's wearing the the dark glasses. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Udi Hrant is a very famous name. I've heard his name a lot. I mean, he's, uh, would you say, how the godfather of, like, Oud players, maybe? I would say that he was the pioneer of Oud playing in America. For sure. Because he uh, created a second generation of Udis here in America. Uh, four days after his birth in Adapazar, he was actually declared blind. Oh and it's God. funny enough that uh, the person he married, the sister, also married Udi Bogos, who was also blind. So they were both bro- blind brother-in-laws. <laughs> That's so, both sisters married the both blind, but the, and they both played oud. They're both amazing musicians. That could be a movie in itself, man. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, and then Woody um, Hurant, he he didn't live here, but he would come to America a lot to play. Yes, and he taught your grandfather, right, Richard Hagopian. Yes, he he the next generation he of taught him players. a couple of things, not too much, but enough to where he passed on the title to five Udis in America, including my grandfather, Richard Agopian, Udi Harry Manassian, Udi Jean Berberian, Udi George Magardichin, and Udi Chick Ganimian. By the way, Harry Manassian, no relation, but I wish you guys. <laughs> um, um, but no, I grew up going to uh, picnics at Camp Hastan on the East Coast, and I remember seeing John Barbarian there. Um, a lot of these names are very familiar to me. I'm a big Oud fan, you could say. But I didn't know they had this title of Udi up until recently, actually. I think you brought it to my attention. And um, it seems it's it's this art form. It's this uh, ancient art form that isn't really practiced anymore too much. I, I, I think you're the only Udi that I know in person. Uh, there's not that many, right? left around it's it's an accomplishment which acknowledges um armenian history as well as the technique of playing oud um we also have the title for kanun players kanuni yeah um so you know the ui means the master of and so um that title is given from one master to another uh by tradition of a certificate either signed or uh, in the case of Udi Hiram, because he was blind, he couldn't sign his yeah. name. He has a thumbprint. Hey. So an ink thumbprint was on each one of those certificates. Have you seen... Oh, so you have seen his thumbprint yes, before? Yes, I have seen his thumbprint on my grandfather's certificate. That's crazy. And now I can say that I have my grandfather's signature on my very own certificate. I actually see it right here, huh? Yes. On the wall. So the song you just played, Parov Yegar Sirun Yar. Um, did you... Who taught you that song? So... Getting into my lessons, um, my first instrument was not actually the oud. I learned the kanun. Oh. Okay? 
and uh, I got, I received a grant from the state of California to learn the kanun uh, as an apprentice to my grandfather, Richard Agopian, who taught me the technique of playing the kanun as well as the Armenian modal system. He taught me, um, you know, chord progressions, melodic um, transitions, uh, the fingering technique, the picking technique of the of the kanun, um, how to change the mandals, tuning the mm -hmm. instrument, maintenance of the instrument. Um, but that was the extent of the lessons. Okay. He would teach me only the techniques needed to play the instrument. He would not teach me songs per se. The rest of it was up to you? The re rest of it was up to me and my ear. So I had to learn the modes, then go home and listen to the music. After listening to the music, I was assigned to pick songs and determine which modes they fell under. And from there, I would pick my favorite song. I'd learn it by ear. I'd go to the lesson and he'd listen to me play the song and he'd say, do it a little differently. Try doing this. Try doing that. Other than that, he told me nothing else. He just wanted me to play the song as it was composed, as it should be played. And do you think that made you a better artist or a better musician because of that? It did, because he didn't influence my my playing. He didn't tell me, oh, you should do a trill here. You should do, you know, mm. do do certain things that he would have done. He just told me how to play the song. And he let me do the rest by my own creative imagination. You know, I take from artists like John Barbarian, Harry Minassian Chick, all of them. Even my own grandfather. People say I sound like Richard Hagopian, but that's not the goal. My goal is to take a little bit of John, take a little bit of Harry, take a little bit of Richard, mix them together and see what comes and out. call it Andrew. And no, that's it, Andrew. That's how music works anyway. That's how art works in the first place. Right. And I think that is part of the genius of it is it's allowing for that own personalized uh, individual uh, you're able to express yourself in an original way because of that freedom in the beginning there. So, mm -hmm. um, and so how long have you been playing like your whole life? When did these, when did this begin for you? So from an early age, my, I grew up in a traditional Armenian family household, you know, um, my story really begins four years before I was born <laughs> with my brother. Okay. Okay. In 1995, my parents gave birth to my brother, Philip Pagopian. Mm-hmm who from the day he was born, he fell in love with the music. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't ever pressured on either of us as brothers from our grandfather to like the music or play the music. It just happened naturally. Some people say it's in the genes. Some people have theories. Oh, if you listen to it and it falls, it just happened. That's It's probably all of it and more, and that's how it works anyway. Exactly. And, yeah. and so my brother, he started strumming on a little oud, a, a miniature kid-sized oud. He wasn't really playing songs. He knew the songs. He could sing them like a child would, mm -hmm. you know, um, just having fun. And then I was born and he was always playing it. So not only was he listening to the music and playing it, but I grew up with a partner. I grew up with, you know, someone that I could express this creative interest. Um, right. We weren't. A normal children yeah. <laughs> in the sense that you know you can buy your child a toy and and that's their imagination they make what of it it is um our our toys growing up were instruments and the music you were playing udi yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> let's exactly play udi, let's play udi. we would watch vhs tapes of my grandfather and his band and other musicians playing the music and we'd sit in front of the tv i'm maybe one or two years old i can't even speak yet and my head's bobbing yeah. back and forth I'm making facial expressions of the musicians as they're playing. Um, 
I'm I'm making sounds like trying yeah, to yeah. sing, and then you know I I became of an age where I was like maybe three years old. This is where I start pounding out rhythms on a drum. Yeah. And one of my biggest inspirations growing up was Buddy Sarkeesian. Yeah. You know, Buddy was a very um, new age type of drummer. He took traditional Armenian dumbeg playing to the max. He made it Americanized. He brought in other drums and modified them so that he can hit it with their hand. And he kind of created the concept of the drum set, but with dumbegs. So all different types of drums, all in front of different him, types of drums. It, and he yeah. was playing them simultaneously. Yeah. And so I'd watch videos of him and I would watch and I just, you know, copy him. Well, what's even cooler is you probably got to meet these guys. Like they'd come over and you, your grandpa or parents would be like, Oh, this is the guy you saw on that VHS tape, or this is the guy played, right? right. They'd being, come around, you know, being that, uh, related yeah. to Richard, my grandfather. Um, I didn't get to meet all of them as some of them had passed. Yeah. Um, but I got to meet Jack Chalikian. Uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting Hachi Kazarian, the clarinet mm -hmm. player. Um, you know, along with other people who've played in the band over the years. A lot you of know, those legends and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you I'm know. jealous. Um, so I was always surrounded by their talents and their inspiration. And, you know, growing up, they also promoted the music. They also, you know, Hachi Kazarian would always say to me, good job, you're doing a good job. Like he always applauded me. And That's good. he always, you know, he'd always tell me if something was wrong, you know, hey, hey, play softer, play this, you know. He always critiqued me. Well, which I have was good. Well, I have to say, Andrew, like a lot of the names you're you're mentioning right now, maybe our parents' generation, maybe the Amerika High generation would recognize these, but a lot of us don't know about these older American Armenian generations. Um, maybe they're a little bit more prevalent or well known on the East Coast. Um, and Fresno is a very old Armenian American community. Um, and so I want to just kind of quickly like sum up, like uh, or not sum up, but explain how. Uh, either even before the genocide, Armenians were moving to the United States and a lot of them came to Fresno. So, Andrew, was your family part of this initial wave of Armenian immigrants or did they come after the genocide to Fresno, California? So there was part of my family known as the Barigin clan. Mm -hmm. We come from the the regions of Bitlis. Okay. And part of the clan stayed in Bitlis and part moved to Erzurum. And uh, the year was about 1909. Okay, just before and the genocide. Just then. before the genocide, it had already started taking place. Well, they had already know. started, yes. Yeah. And the Barigian clan from Bitlis had then moved over to Erzurum to deliver a message to our side of the family. They they came and they settled there for a while and they made a living with us. And they had friends in the higher government of the Ottoman Empire at the time who said, you know, this is this is what's gonna take place. This is our warning to you as our friends. Get out while you can. Yeah, get out. And so the Barigin clan told my great-grandfather, um, Avedis Hagopian, great-great-grandfather, um, this is what's happening. We've been warned. Um, you should leave with us to America. Mm -hmm. And he said, why should I leave? Times are good here. I have more business than usual with the Turks and the Kurds and, you know, we're living friendly amongst them. Everything's going good. And it was, mm -hmm. you know, no one would have had a clue unless you had the warning that this was going to happen. And so that half stayed. The Hagopian clan stayed mm -hmm. while the Barigan clan moved to Fresno. They migrated here. And so during the genocide, uh, my great grandfather Khosrov was a young boy at the time in school 
And one day they came to his to the school and they said, this school is now shut and you guys go home to your parents, uh, collect some things and meet in the middle of the village. So he ran home. He saw his parents packing up a few little trinkets, some pictures, maybe a couple of small books. You know, they couldn't carry a lot. Whatever they can hold. Whatever they yeah. could hold. Some gold pieces. Mm-hmm. And actually the gold pieces is what ended up saving my great grandfather, which is why I'm here today. Yeah. So they met in the middle of the village and the Turkish official said, we're going to relocate you guys to a new destination. And so my great grandfather looking behind him saw the last um, glimpses of his hometown Erzurum as he was marched out. So I'm going to shorten the story. They ended up going to Istanbul from there to be in an orphanage. Right. And from there they came over because the Barigans here, they were able to bring the Hagopians over on a quota. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask if the Barigans already knew someone in Fresno at that point to get them in, or they just the Barigans. They did know a Protestant priest here. Okay. Because most of the it's From most of the people who immigrated to Fresno were Protestants, and mm. the minister who was here, they knew the minister Vartanian. Had a connection. They yeah. had a connection, and they were able to bring the Barigans over, and then the Barigans brought the Hagopians. So well, that's how it was in a lot of places. The Kharpertsis that went to Worcester were also uh, had connections with these Protestant missionaries and everything. So, uh, you know, this was another way that actually America was very important in saving a lot of Armenian orphans at the time with the Near East Foundation, but also in helping Armenians escape and as refugees come to America and establish themselves here. Um, so they come here, but was your family, it wasn't a family of musicians or anything, right? Did your grand, was your grandpa, let's say the first person to, as the Hogopians to be a master Oud player? My grandfather was the first one to, um, learn the Oud. And in that day, it was looked down upon to become a musician. Musicians were low paid people that weren't very successful. You know, you know they worked in nightclubs. Well, and what do you think things. our parents today will probably say the same thing? Half the time you have uh, to be course. a lawyer, doctor, but it's, so it sounds like it's <laughs> always a, it's within every generation. And don't worry. Yes. Uh, but especially Richard. back then the pressure was my great grandfather enjoyed to dance and he loved the music. And when my grandfather first picked up the oud, he borrowed his first oud from one of his uncles. Because it was hard to get an oud at that time. You had to send away for an oud. It wasn't easy to get an oud. I can imagine. And so he he became very well known with the musicians who immigrated to this part of the country, to Fresno. And he played in the old-time bands. And he would um, sit in with them. And this is how he became close with Kanuni Garbis. Kanuni Garbis was really his teacher of the Ud. So it wasn't he, really Udi Hiran. Udi Hiran mm. finished the lessons, but Kanuni Garbis taught him the basics of the Ud and Kanun at the same time, but mostly the Ud. So Kanuni Gar- he was the student of Kanuni Garbis on the Ud. And when Hiran came, there was a big concert at the original Fresno State campus. And it was a big thing, Hiran's coming to America. This was the first time he was coming. And my grandfather, they allowed no children to come to the concert except for my grandfather. It was uh, almost destiny because it was a serious thing back then. You know, you don't bring your kids to a concert. This was Udi Herant and yeah. this is a very serious thing. No kids. Yeah. But because my grandfather was in it with the musicians, they said, we'll make the exception. He's, this is beyond, you know, this is not an ordinary child. Yeah. So my grandfather sitting there, I've heard this story tons of times. He's looking on stage before Hrant even comes out. And this Ud is sitting there. The one you're showing me right now? The one I'm playing today. Oh, no way. And it's brand new at the time. And um, 
he uh, it's sitting on a st- on a piano, a grand piano, and there's another oud that looks identical to it. There's two ouds, and they're just beautiful instruments. And so he says to his father, "Oh man, if I could only have that oud, if I could play that oud, you know, have it, own it." And he's like, oh, "Don't worry, let's see what we can do, you know." And during intermission, Kanuni Garbis introduced his father and him to Udi Hrant. And him not knowing, his father bought the Ud from Hrant. Oh, he no played way. this instrument in the concert. Yeah. And Hrant actually gave him a blessing there. He put his hand on his head and said, uh, when you grow up, may you become Hrant. May you become like yeah, me. Yeah, Udi. Yeah, you know. And so uh, as Hrant came and left over the years, he came to L.A., and my grandfather would always drive down to L.A., have less, like, meet him, play with him, um, you know, see certain things that he did. And on those trips, that's when he earned that title. Yeah. And I don't think he really intended it to become a career in the way it, it ended, ended up, up becoming. becoming yeah. Because at a young age, his father, he lost his father. Oh. Um, How old was he? He was maybe... In his 20s, okay. not soon after that concert. Well, so then there's pressure on the son to, like, you know, take care of the family at that point if the father's gone, right? Yes. And, he, yeah. he dropped out of... He, he was enrolled in college. He didn't go. He was about to start, and he had to drop out to run the family farm. Mm-hmm. He became a farmer. Yeah, classic. And no. so he did that, and then it just so happened to be that he was playing people's weddings now at this time, you know, with the local group, and his name was becoming well-known. And this guy from Yetem, by the name of Gogin, yeah, he lived in Las Vegas, and Buddy Sarkeesian at the time was running the Cleopatra Review with Freddie Elias, and he had another Oud player. This is a Vegas show. This is the, the Vegas Cleopat- show, yeah. and Manny Petro. And... The Oud player got in some trouble with the casino, as they all did, musicians. They, If they, if you were asked to leave Vegas, it was usually because you were in debt yeah. or something <laughs> happened. So Buddy was in search of an Oud player, and John Gogin says to Buddy, well, you're looking for an Oud player? Well, the best Oud player is in Fresno, California. His name's Richard Hagopian. And he's like, I don't know, a, Rich- I don't know a Richard Hagopian. And so... Um, they got in touch. They got in touch. And right. my grandfather was running the farm. He he had three kids now. My dad was just born. Buddy came out to the farm. He looked at the kids, and he, he didn't even ask him to be part of the show during this. He came to meet him, and my grandfather knew why he was coming because he said he's looking for an oud player. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather said as he's leaving, I know why you came. Um, and he's like, well, I see you're busy here with the kids and everything. I don't want to bother you. And he's like, come in. Let's see what we can do. And so they talked, they played music, they brought out the rachi and all that, all the meze. And so he got hired in the show. Yeah. And there it took off. I know there's a part of your grandpa that probably really wanted to do that. You know, at the end of the day, he wanted to explore what that, where the oud could take him and play in a show and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm real glad about it at the end of the day too, because I mean, he's one of my favorite oud players and uh, what he did for Armenian culture, Armenian music is, uh, it'll live on forever. It's, I mean, and look at it now, like you're getting to, continue his legacy in a way but also getting to appreciate the, the art in the first place you know if he uh maybe it would be different if things had changed or weren't the way that they were but so um uh, richard agopian was like let's say the main uh 
Udi player from Fresno. Out of those five Udis that you named, is he the only one from Fresno? Or he was the West Coast musician. The main West Coast guy. Um, the rest were like all Michigan, East Coast, East Coast, yeah, Boston, Boston area, Boston. New York. Um, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, so can you? All right, let's play another song. Uh, could you play something that your grandpa would maybe play a lot? One of these Udis would. Um, yeah, one of the, a song that maybe comes from your grandfather that either reminds you of him or he taught you. So, one song um, that uh, was actually featured in a recent documentary, uh, "What Will Become of Us" by Stephanie Ayanian. Oh yeah, I've saw. Um, yeah, I've I was seen. learning the song Marojan in that particular scene of the documentary, and so this song was composed by one of the Ashurs of Eastern Armenia. It's a love song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it translates to Oh Maro, my sweetheart Don't plant a lot of con uh, I will go to Tiflis and protect uh, The burning, burning I will die for your hide and beauty And then the chorus is For your red blouse, I will die For your long blouse, I will die I shall die uh, for the blouse that only you sew It's Classic Armenian love songs the Very Boyov and Mernem. Metaphorical yeah, yeah, it's great It's about nature He's referring to the Planting of the seeds yes. Springtime so is here Let's hear it It's a very beautiful song Marojan Thank you. 
<laughs> to all the models out there, that one was for you. Um, so imagine I'm Odar or someone just doesn't know anything about the Oud. How would you explain, you know, hey, or, oh, you play music? What do you play? How do you explain that to them? So I, I always explain the Oud as the grandfather to the guitar. It's the best, the basic... Uh, best way to like explain it best to Best way. Because, you know, it's a fretless instrument. It's very similar to the guitar in the sense that it has, um, you know, six sets of strings, uh, five strings doubled because, um, you know, it's, pa- it's paired in unison, uh, but it's also tuned in octaves and fourths. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basic concept of the guitar, just fretless. It's almost okay. a violin in a sense. Um, but the uh, this is the modern framework of the guitar. You know, they had to base it off something. So you just tell them it's it's the OG guitar, essentially. But, I mean, from what you were saying earlier, your grandfather playing in Vegas with the Cleopatra show, I mean, it seems like then people were either aware of it or it's a sound that's been kind of been already uh, adopted in Hollywood in a sense, right? I mean, how recognizable is the oud in maybe American culture or even at least with our artists and producers? The instrument of the oud and kanun are both very recognized because at a certain time, we're talking about the... 50s and the 60s mm-hmm. um, jazz artists and different artists wanted to expand their sound they were looking for new things exotic maybe. exotic psychedelic fuck uh psychedelic punk sound yeah um so um they were looking for um was that different why you cultures he- is that why you hear like the centaur sometimes like the indian centaur sometimes and like the hippie music maybe but. or they've taken the the oud and they have a oud player play some different riffs on it mm-hmm. and they added on their albums and stuff. So we have a lot of influence in American culture, um, which we'll be taking a look at today. Actually. I'm down. No, uh, I mean, could you give us an example of something like that where they took this uh, exotic Oud sound and used it in an American song maybe. So I think we should start with a little journey of how this music came about, how they found the inspiration. Okay. So, in one of my clubhouse discussions that you were on, you were very, um, very excited about this one particular album, and this was one of the earliest albums for Armenians. Um, this came out in 1954. It's called the Arzev Orchestra Traveling for Kef, and on the cover is a 1954 uh, 55. Um, Chrysler? Cadillac. Cadillac. It was Cadillac. And so what ended up happening was the band, they recorded this album with one microphone because at the time, <laughs> that was how they recorded things. They just all sat around one microphone, one take, they, one take they, they cut they the album. It. Yeah. So, and that represented, an album was representative of the music and of the band to d- demonstrate what the band could do. Anyways, they decided how cool would it be to take a picture um, in one of these cars. In one of these very fancy cars. So they went to Cadillac and they were going to take a picture in a car, but then they saw out of the corner of their eye a new car that they hadn't seen before. And the next year's edition or something. The next year's edition oh, hadn't even rolled out. They haven't even put out pictures of the thing yet. <laughs> and they said, What could we do to get our picture in that car? You know, because the new car, the new year, it would be great it would be seller. Huge. Oh, it'd be huge. And they said, there's no possible chance of you getting a picture in that car. Where are these Armenians right. <laughs> trying to get? To so them. they they talked for a while and they managed to cut a deal with them. They said, 
you know, you cannot uh, produce this uh, album until that car comes out. You can't, like, release it or whatever. Can't release yeah, it. Yeah. So they said, okay, they signed the contract. Deal. Just so happened that they cut the deal, they made the covers, they had it all prepared, and that year they had a big dance. It was a big function, Armenian function. And they said, well, we can't pass this up because this is how you would sell an album back in the day. They didn't have Amazon. They didn't have eBay. They didn't have CD Bay. This is the opportunity to this do it. This is the opportunity. People are coming from all over to be at this event. So they said, how are they going to know? Exclude you know? it. Let's do it. Are they really checking to see? So Armenian dance. They pulled out the album. They put it on stage while they were playing and people went crazy over it. Because... Mm-hmm. It wasn't particularly because of the band or the music. <laughs> it was because they said, wow, what is this car? We've never seen it They've before. They've never seen it before. So it became very popular. And so this was one of the first LP records. We have the first generation that immigrated who were survivors of the genocide who recorded the 78 records. But as far as the first generation born here in America, these were the first people. The Artsy Orchestra was the first ones to record an LP. It's such a cool photo and I'll be making sure to post this on our social media, you guys, but it's, it's pretty G. It's awesome. I, Simon Javizian. But so, uh, I mean, just seeing the Armenian instruments next to, or on top of this Cadillac is the talk about the mix right there mm-hmm. or the, 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 the inspiration. You and have, stuff. you have very traditional, um, instruments on a very modern american culture you have armenian culture and american culture coming together it's symbolic as hell so so then we have um this album called armenian wedding by mike sarkisian mike the sarkisian brothers grew up in lowell massachusetts and Mm -hmm. from a young age they were they enjoyed drumming and that's how buddy became a drummer he was a percussionist american percussionist but they grew up like my brother and I playing with each other, playing yeah. music and Mike liked to sing. And so he cut his first record with a very big company, Audio Fidelity. And in that day, it was hard. It, it was harder to get, you know, a contract with them. But they yeah, were also joke. looking for people to record of outside cultures other yeah. than American cultures. So this came out and this is really the mix between that traditional village sound and what was be- coming out. So 1965 um, on there, huh? Yes. All the right. Sarkisian brothers um, were really pioneering uh, the new sound. This was 58. Oh, 1958. 58. Oh, just slightly after that one. Damn. This is 1958. And Buddy was, Buddy was the one who changed the sound, in my opinion, because he was the one who took the concept of the multiple drums and started mixing it in. Oh, true. It wasn't very... Um, traditional to have more than just an oud, a dumbag player, and maybe a violin player in the orchestra. Yeah. So now they have multiple drums. You had a bottom. You had a. You had this very interesting rhythm that they had created. And. And, and Buddy was that guy who played with your grandfather a lot in Vegas. In Vegas. Show, yeah. And this is where some jazz artists saw them perform live. Oh, that's actually true. And Imagine all the people that went to Vegas, and that was like you know the early height of Vegas era. You know, right? The rat, some rat very pack. big names. Um. Even some of the Rat Pack would come and watch the show. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, they some jazz artists would come up on stage and perform with them sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, they enjoyed the music. So yeah, then, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So then, we have people. It went both ways. American music influenced Armenian music, and Armenian music influenced American music. So I'm actually going to start with the American influence on Armenian music. 
Because okay. it wasn't until later that the Americans started taking the Armenian music and mm-hmm. changing their music. So we have Chikanimian, Udi Chikanimian, who was very revolutionary uh, to the Ud playing technique. He did things that was not very traditional. Um, uh, he was having more fun with he it. He was maybe. having more fun with it, and he, he listened to American music a lot. Yeah. And so you can hear that in his playing. So he'd play songs like Over the Rainbow, um, My Fa- My Funny Valentine, um, also other songs, other Armenian songs like Dari Lolo and uh, Halva, Jihalva, and all those kind of different things. And he he found ways of playing with American bands. He would bring in different musicians, jazz quartets, and he would record these songs. So he would take Armenian songs, but then do we do them in an American style, let's say? Yes. Can we hear one of them? And he would also take American songs and play them with the Armenian the Sounds or whatever. Right. So let's take a look at um, one of song that he did called um, Over the Rainbow. Okay. You know. That's a very common song in American culture. It was made popular in Wizard of Oz. I was going to say. Um, and this is the first time we hear that he's taking an American song and playing it on the oud. Thank you. 
that was awesome. That was so cool. I think that's my favorite version of that song now. Um, and, uh, I mean, the whole album is like that, huh? Yeah, the whole album. You, you got to hear the other tracks on this album. It's beautiful. How, how do we not know about this? How do we? I mean, I know you know, but like, how do the rest of us not know about this? You know, it just kind of fell out of the radar for Armenians. Um, it The music progressed faster than we could keep up. Same thing like technology in the world today. Um, it's progressing at a speed which, you know, we it's forget quick, quick. about whatever came out previous to this. Um, I can even use this example with modern day music. You know, songs that I grew up listening to in high school, like American music I'm talking about now, um, are no longer prevalent today because there are new artists who just came out with new hits yeah. and they play that on the radio constantly to where you forget about the other ones. You're right. And, and when you do hear that song and you say, oh, I remember this in high school, but yeah. it's so old at this point, you know? That's what, this is how this music has become. But I'm thinking in the sense that there's a lot of artists that will take from oldies, you know, and then like re remix it or make it new or take some inspiration from it. These would be so cool to inspire like a new generation of kind of this kind of stuff. We do kind of see Armenians do these things, but uh, this to me is so cool to see. So yeah, this is something that, you know, and they had the inspiration to do. And this is chicken. No, this was uh, the Sarkisian. Okay, this is chicken. This is chick. Um, and uh, I know he also did another one. I think you were telling me earlier he did uh, Sude Sude as well, right? That was Guy Chikurian. Oh, that's Guy. That's Guy Chikurian. Can we put the Guy Chikurian one on? Or just like for a second? Sure, sure. Let's take a listen to him. Because he was definitely... Guy Chikurian was a person who um, really took his talents of being a comedian entertainer and his love for music. And he wanted to give the Armenian audience something new and creative. So what he would do is he'd take American pop songs at the time, you know, uh, like the Ballad of David Crockett or even uh, Open the Door Richard. These were big songs. Um, in and, he did, and he made it into Armenian? And or? he made it into Armenian. Well, so, because uh, I think you show, you were showing me earlier, and we're not going to play the whole thing, but I want you, because everyone does know the song Sude Sude. Uh, you guys got to hear this. It's uh, it's the, the English version of the song, and it's it's pretty awesome. It's, I want to say hilarious, but it's also very cool at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 funny how he he took those songs. He took Armenian songs, made American, made American songs Armenian. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it's a creative genius right there, in my opinion. It's very um, creative. And I think, honestly, uh, it's funny because I'm imagining even at that generation, they're thinking, the Armenian kids these days, they're not, they don't care about Armenian music or this and that. And here's ways of like kind of mixing the two and making it engaging for maybe like a, a more Americanized generation. Even today, you know, uh, we're getting more creative with how to, you know, uh, maybe uh, present Armenian music in different ways to either the new generation here and there. So I don't know if it was so much that. Um, I think it was more of a way of connecting Armenians to American culture. Oh. Um, you know, trying to make them fit in and um, giving them a way of, you know, because Armenians liked American culture. They liked the swing and pop music and all of that. And so artists like Guy Chikurian and the next artist I'm going to discuss um, found a way to um, put themselves, make themselves different than the other artists like my grandfather and John Berberian at the time. Hmm. So we have Artie Barsamian, who was also another early pioneer. And he was, he, he was the first one to do the concept of a big band. You mm. know, he, it's traditional, as I said, to have a dumbeg, oud, and violin. He took it, he was a clarinet player, he had a saxophone player, a guitar player, a percussionist, um, multiple dumbeg players, like maybe two or three dumbegs, um, maybe another saxophone. It was like a big it's orchestra. orchestra. It's an orchestra, yeah. That's... And so he would play Armenian songs, um, but in this fashion. And what made him so special was, at the time, people liked to hire Armenian bands and an American band. He could do both because oh. he also knew American music. So his group would play American music, and Armenian music. as well as Armenian music. Smart so for business. <laughs> instead of hiring two bands, you just had to hire Artie Barsamian. Yeah. So genius. Well, so you're saying the did the Armenian music then have American influence in it or the other way around or a little bit of both? This is was, this is Armenian music with American influence. Okay. Then we're going to see uh, Armenian. We're going to see also another form of Armenian music with American influence, with the type of playing. This is instrument instrument influence. You okay. know, we have we never had guitar or bass guitar or keyboard in our music up, in, until, up we, until about later on. 70s, 80s, you know, yeah. 60s, all that. So this was really the pioneer of that. And so we'll hear, this is, you're going to hear a mixture of traditional sounding as well as this big band sound. Okay. Thank you. 
very Zurna this part. Uh, yes. Where they jumps in like that high pitch. And this is a clarinet doing that. Yeah, it's a clarinet. Know? Yeah. So it's it's very interesting. You 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 hear that multiple dumbbags. You have a bass dumbbag, a treble dumbbag, other instruments. This was one of his earlier albums, so he didn't have so many saxophones and all that going on. Yeah. Um, but this is the start of his big band sound right here. He's killing it on that clarinet. And future groups, Armenian groups, started adding the guitar, um, you know, as a bottom for the group, because adding guitar and bass really drives the music. I mean, you need that that you told that me drop. I'm... It just drops right on that beat, you know. <laughs> um, well, this is making me want to dance right now. So, you know, they always ask that question, like if you could go back in time. <laughs> What this, it would be like? This would be a nice one. <laughs> to go back to one of these big kefs in the 1960s and see what it was all going down. Uh, see our grandparents having right. a great time. Uh, okay, so... So now, I, I want to play a different example. And this goes back to Chick Anemian. Because now a jazz artist has discovered what Chick has been doing. And um, he likes his playing. And he invites him to play with his group. The album is Herbie Mann's Impressions of the Middle East. Herbie Mann was a jazz flautist, and he was um, one of the bigger um, improvenist jazz people of the time. And so uh, he took a lot of influence from the music, from our music. For this album he did. For this huh? album. Even in the future, they give they gave live performances doing this repertoire because he liked the music. And so one song on his album is called Uskudar. And that's a region. In Uskudar. And Uskudar is a very popular song amongst the Armenians. They enjoyed it. Um, and so he took that song and he's playing it uh, in this jazz fashion and then he goes into what we would call a taksim an improv yeah. but on the flute uh, but the the main part of the song is an arm is is this song and he also has other um, titles on this album the Ood, the Ood and the Pussycat Yavas <laughs> Dance of the Semites um, Incense you know it's his it's his vision of the Middle East yeah so um I don't know if I should play Uskidar or Incense because it really gives you that sense of the Middle East and uh, what they liked. And Chikunimian is playing on this album. And Chikunimian is playing on but this album. But all of them were just those few songs. All this whole album he's playing. Alright. So we're we're gonna listen to Incense. Alright, let's do it. You hear Chick in the intro right there. And this Herbie Mann is a uh, saxophone player, or he's the flute player. Flute player, flute player. You hear him in yeah. this intro. And Chick's actually just now—he's just filling in on this piece, but he does do some very exciting solos on this album. I mean, to me, the title actually fits this song. For me, if I close my eyes, I can see, like, incense rising. And a smoky little, like, uh, not a bazaar, but like... Uh, you could almost picture yourself lounges. walking down, like, a shady bazaar almost, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, Something, like, oh, this almost sounds to me like a Maroon 5 or like a, 
you know, like... Uh, well, you know what? They made all these movies taking place in the Middle East, probably throughout the years, everything from Casablanca to today, and they probably used soundtracks like this in those movies, or at least got their inspiration from right. what should be this... What, what, what music should we have while they're in this scene in uh, Alger Algeria? Let's uh, and find some albums, listen to them, and then we'll get some ideas. Right. And, and sometimes they even ask these musicians to play yeah. with the orchestra because... Where are you going to find an oud player? Yeah, exactly. You know, Chick Anemian did a lot of... Um, John Bilizikchin, an oud player from L.A. who recently yeah. passed. He did a lot of movies and TV shows, and so... Yeah, that's you surprised. Know. Well, it's funny you say that. I grew up always noticing the duduk in movies and stuff. The duduk is another Armenian instrument. It's a wind instrument, but it was in Yu-Gi-Oh! A show that we used to watch in the intro and outro. Gladiator, uh, Jivan Gasparian plays in that. So the, that was like an Armenian instrument I would always notice. And the oud, I'm not surprised that Armenians were also playing that. The duduk is also featured in one of Hollywood's most um, premier um, movies, which was The Passion of the oh, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scene where he's carrying that cross, there's a short scene there where they're playing Deli Aman. Deli they're Aman. actually playing Deli Aman. I love that song. It's one of my favorites. Um, so um, the artists and producers, in fact, of Hollywood, they liked the music. They enjoyed it. And so they... Um, they uh, took influence for it for their productions, yeah. especially if it was Middle Eastern themed, you know? But they you, want it to be historically accurate. But you even hear it today in a lot of, whenever a hip hop song or whatever song wants to add a little Middle Eastern vibe to it, it probably comes from the roots, which is this era of the initial meshing of uh, Middle Eastern sounds in Hollywood, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, I have another example here, and this is jumping to Buddy Sarkeesian and his influence. Because, you know, at this time, this jazz movement, this psychedelic music, funk music, started really becoming popular. And so, Buddy Sarkeesian decided to take uh, his Mecca jazz court, his Mecca 4, which was Manny Petro on guitar and Freddie Elias on violin. And I believe it is Paul Moradian on tambourine it's not credited but there's only so many people that play tambourine like that mm -hmm. and uh i managed to find this 45 record um which is titled uh dubkey twist and daddy lolo daddy lolo is daddy lolo um but you know to uh, accommodate to the no, american cool audience they call the daddy lolo daddy lolo you know because if they put a daddy lolo what's a daddy lolo to an american <laughs> so and they also put twist you know so 45s, this was a big thing for them. So now you're going to hear the influence of American country music and jazz mixed into Armenian music. Oh my God. So it's a very different sound and you're not going to expect it. All right, cool. I'm excited. <laughs> It's, it's Armenian, huh? Like they're singing Armenian words? 
Right. I can't even tell. Hopa Nina, this yeah, is a Hopa, Greek song. Why know the Hopa Nina thing? But the Armenians love this song. But then they decided to take it and make it more Americanized. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's awesome. It's like, I can't even pinpoint it because you can't really pinpoint it on one thing. Right. It's such a fusion, huh? It, that was the concept. Yeah. And you hear those multiple drums. It really makes the difference. Yeah. And they're singing in English. You know the lyrics? I know the actual lyrics, but, uh, you know, I've never studied this. Not, you know Daddy Lolo, not Daddy Lolo. Now listen to the solo. Well, I was about to say, it's so country. Leave it to Armenians to put jazz and country right. together. <laughs> you know, so they had fun with it, the Armenians. No, but that's that's how art is, and th these are artists, you know? If you're just really replicating the same thing over and over again, then you're just a record machine, huh? That's right. Yeah. You're a parrot. Yeah. You're just preserving something, but it's not growing, it's not thriving. That's right. Culture changes like that, you know. It's that's why I'm not always upset to hear people try something new, something that maybe not isn't the most traditional Armenian, but you know, it's a uh, right. And it, that's that's why I see it as my job to first preserve what's being lost. Um, but I do want to grow my sound as a musician. But first step is I have to preserve the traditional roots of this music. Yeah, you start off with that. We need to make sure that it's... And I think you're doing a great and job, by the way, Andrew. about it because people don't know about the music. I think you've done a great job so far of uh, managing to collect all this. I mean, just looking at your studio right now, I'm seeing you've done a great job of collecting and preserving and bringing it all together. And uh, just in case, or just so that there can be that next generation of people who have that option if they do get interested, hey, we have the resources and we have... We have the knowledge still available for you guys here on High Tube Talks. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's take a listen to the other side of this because this is like one of my favorite 45 records it, out of this whole collection. And this is Dottie Lolo. I really hope there's some music uh, university kids here <laughs> studying or doing research papers, PhDs on something like this because uh, I would love to hear more research on this kind of work. This is so cool to me. So this is Dottie Lolo. This is an Armenian song now with... Um, with the same influence. With the same then. influence. don't know what language she's actually singing in.
track, it actually features Buddy solos. Um, you're gonna hear him solo like his uh, trademark solo was. Right, Very wild. Drum solo, right? Yes. Dumbbag solo. <laughs> That, that's the examples that I have of American music playing its role and having its influence on Armenian music while Armenian music also having its influence on American music. It went both ways. Um, before we go, uh, Andrew, I'd like you to play one more song. Um, what I'll do is I'll play uh, a song that was created here in America by an Armenian by the name of Edward Bogosian. He composed the song Sude Sude. Oh. And he's oh. one of the first generations um, to really um, uh, interact with American culture and continue the music here in America. And so this song was made popular on my grandfather's first album that he cut, Kef Time Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And this, this song actually wasn't going to make the album. It was because of the person who funded the album said... I want this song on there. Otherwise, I'm not going to fund it anymore. Because it was so, so popular or whatever this no, song. No, because or, he liked the song. He just liked it. And it just so happened that that was the longest song on that side of that album. It was the longest track on that album and became the most popular song. Oh, it's a album. hit. It's I mean, hit. everyone knows that song. And uh, it's probably one of my favorites as well. So I'm, we're kind of glad that guy forced yeah, your grandpa to put it exactly. on there, huh? So we'll do Sude Sude. And please join me, Haig. This I, will be very fun having you play Dumbeg. Oh, I'm so down.
Awesome. Okay. Andrew, I have one last question for you, actually. Yes, Hike. We've talked about a lot of Armenian music today, a lot of American influence in Armenian music, uh, Armenian music history, and but I want to know, all ethnic music aside, what's your favorite American band? I have a, a favorite American artist. American artist. American artist. Um, and it's very classy, very, very... <laughs> <laughs> Very Andrew-like of me to say, but I enjoy Frank Sinatra. All right. And the reason I enjoy Frank Sinatra is because he was in an age before uh, synthesizers and keyboards and before technology really took over the music industry. Authentic. Authentic. Yeah. There is no talent like in modern day music like Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra had talent. Well, it goes to show because he's, everyone loves Frank Sinatra. He, he's still a legend today. He didn't need auto-tune. Um, he just performed and entertained in his fashion. And that is something that I respect. And his orchestra behind him was always fantastic. Yeah. Composed of great musicians from all around the United States, um, just pouring their soul into the music. Well, I'm a big Rat Pack, fa Rat Pack fan too, and I love all those Italian guys, so great pick, I'll say that. Um, well, maybe you could play us a Toxim on our way out. Sure. But, uh, Andrew, thanks again, man. This was awesome. Thank and you, Haig. Uh, I had fun. This is a great... Let's see if we can do a two-parter. Yeah, maybe we'll do another one. I'm down. I'm so down. There's so much more to talk about. You're listening to High Tube Talks, the official podcast of the AYF West. I'm Haig Minasian, and we're just a couple of Armenians playing music in the world. <laughs> Talking in the world.